And now a message from our sponsor. Hey everybody, it's Bootleg Captain, Captain Bootlegs here. Yeah. If you're like me, I bet you're enjoying this Toys, Toys on, on Tap, Tap podcast. Yeah, I am enjoying it, it's very nice. But did you know you can enjoy it more just by joining that Patreon? Oh, I did not know that. There are so many cool perks available on the Patreon for you. There's and also and Wow, that's really a lot of stuff if you ask Bootleg Captain. Captain I don't bootleg. understand. There were noises I couldn't hear with the person. So join today to support Toys on Tap podcast and Bootleg Art Toys. But if you're not in a position to join the Patreon, head on over to Apple iTunes and review and subscribe. That helps out the channel as well. Okay, I'll go rate it, I guess. And remember, listen to Toys, Toys on, on Tap. Captain Bootleg, the bootleg captain sent you. Why does he keep referring to himself in the third Can person? I stop with the stupid voice now? I'm not sure why you made me want to sound like a pirate. Oh, so that was a fake voice. Oh, yucko! I didn't realize it was just pretend voice. Oh, okay. Hey, Rich. Hey, what's up, Abram? How's it going? Good, good. I've been so stoked for this interview. Awesome. I, hey, man, I love your shirt. Thank you. Oh, the Ragnar. It is the craziest thing to see. Have you seen it in person, that toy? The Ragnar toy? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hold on one sec. Um, why is my camera not working? Oh, are you kidding me? Just Boom. sitting right there. Just sitting right here. It is my favorite toy. I don't really collect toys, but it's my favorite toy. Yeah, no, he's fantastic. Um, we actually have a, a Nacelle exclusive colorway that he makes for us. Oh. Um, it's like a, a, a Nacelle blue uh, Ragnar. Hold on. Let me see if I can find a picture of him. Is it the uh, one? It, it looks like a coupon, right? You, you can cut it out almost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I yeah, watch you guys pretty steadily to make sure I follow all your stuff. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah, I've known Chris for God, like five or six years and, um, we would always run into each other at like robo toy fast or, you know, kamikaze and stuff like that. You know, we just stay in contact, you know, and I'd buy all his stuff and, um, you know, he would tell me what he was up to. And then, you know, once we started doing like our consumer product stuff, you know, I immediately was just like, we need to get Chris involved in this. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I. What's crazy about his whole setup? Like, I had never seen anything like it. And then he like, it, even the way he bags them, they're massive, mm -hmm. but he puts them in a bag with a header card and everything. Just a genius. Yeah, he's fantastic. So we welcome to Toys on Tap. Thank you. Happy there to be go. here. We literally just moved into a new space, so I have none of my stuff anywhere. <laughs> That's okay. We don't show any videos, so everyone's gonna know that you have all the vintage Star Wars stuff up. No one's going to see my uh, signed Ed Newmeyer Ed 209. Yeah. Holy yeah. God, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was in our office uh, a month or so ago um, to uh, do some pickup stuff for, uh, for movies. And um, yeah, he signed my Robocop uh, figure, which is pretty awesome. I love this. So, uh, Toys on Tap, bootleg uh, creator, toy podcast, uh, indie toy podcast, knockoff, so everything you can think of. Um, but I, yeah, which is cool. And we got hooked up probably, man, was it like six, seven months ago? Yeah, yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah, <laughs> I almost forgotten. Like, uh, did I do that? No, I didn't. Yeah, it was a while ago. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so my name is Richard Meyer. I'm the vice president of content strategy here at the Nacelle Company. 
which is a very kind of like um, ambiguous coverall uh, kind of title for a handful of things that I do here. Um, I oversee our podcast division, our publishing division, um, our consumer products division, and I'm the executive producer of a toy store near you. And uh, probably a couple other things I, I can't remember at the moment, but yeah, it's a never dull moment. Yeah. That's a, that's a list. That's just, it's beautiful at work. You Thank must you. just Thank you. all creative stuff, right? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's surreal, you know, like I know the term, you know, living your dream gets tossed around pretty liberally, but like, yeah, I've somehow found a way to, to, um, to actually do that with sincerity. Like it's, uh, it's bonkers, but it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's very satisfying. Like emotionally, you know, it's, I, I, ne- I always look forward to, to coming to work every day. Nice. So before we jump in professional stuff, mm-hmm. we're going personal. Yeah, please. Love it. Uh, you have a love for toys. Uh, I have since I could probably, even before I could walk, I probably, it was a, a, a love affair that started, you know, when I was conscious of the world around me and it has not stopped since. So when that love of toys starts from whenever you can remember, let's talk through that. Where did that come from? What is this attachment to toys and why did it never stop? Um, I think for me uh, personally, as a kid, so not to get too in the weeds, but um, where I grew up, my, my house, uh, my, my grandfather and um, his, my uncles and his friends actually built the house in the fifties. And it, um, it was on land that eventually became um, eminent domain by the U S park department. And it became uh, Na- Dunes national lakeshore park, which is in Northwest Indiana, um, hugging the uh, South shore of Lake Michigan. So uh, it was the only house within probably at least a mile and a half. So all my close friends at school were not within like a, uh, like a quick, you know, walk down the road. I didn't have next door neighbors. It was basically, you know, me and, and, um, you know, I was the only child at the time too. My, uh, my younger sister wasn't born for another 10 years. So I didn't have a lot of like, you know, friends within, you know, earshot to play with. So I think in a way, um, my parents and grandparents kind of at least, uh, recognized that and, and compensated with, um, you know, getting me uh, toys when we would go out and stuff like that. So I had a lot of toys. I had a lot of, uh, you know, <laughs> those were my immediate friends, but, um, yeah, I think it was just, a uh, beyond that, just like, I don't know, just an instant and innate fascination with them at, as, as young, there was like a, I feel like I got hit with like the collecting bug, you know, as, as soon as I, I knew what a toy was, whereas other kids, you know, and this is something that stuck with me over the years too. And it was definitely instilled by my parents as well as to not only, you know, take care of your things and appreciate it, but, you know, make sure that they last and, you know, you know, treat them well. Yeah. I had so many, you know, kids that I went to school with who treated their toys like absolute garbage and just, you know, would keep them in plastic bags and there was, you know, no sense of, you know, care to them. And I always took care of my toys. So not only was I, you know, played with all my toys as a kid, but I also, you know, made sure that I put them back in their respective action figure cases and, you know, took care of them. So a lot of the stuff that I still have vintage wise is stuff that I had from my childhood that, you know, doesn't look like, you know, it spent 10 years being played with by a little kid. Jeez. So you somehow, I cause I, in my head, it's like I had one or two action figures that I absolutely loved 100% in the dirt, in the mud that right. went everywhere. Yeah. So 
you from a young age were willing to not sacrifice that and to like, Oh yeah, no, it was crazy. And you know, I, when I had friends from school that would come over and play when they'd bring their toys, like I, I made it a point to make sure that theirs never got mixed up with mine because I knew how <laughs> lousy they treated their toys and how scuffed up all their superpowers and their He-Man figures were. And, you know, I didn't want mine to end up the same fate, you know? So, uh, I, I, I don't know what I can really attribute it to other than just really kind of appreciating everything about that toy with maybe kind of like a, you know, precocious sense of, you know, appreciation that maybe other kids didn't have, but, you know, as much as I love playing with them, like I, I, I loved having them, you know, on a shelf when I wasn't playing with them too. So, yeah. And that just kind of stuck with me over the years. Like but you but, did open them all right. Oh, of course. Yeah. I was definitely not an in package uh, kid. That would be <laughs> insane. Um, but I did love, the, I did love the aesthetic of the toys as well as just, you know, none of my toys were ever just like thrown in a toy box. You know, they all had their own shelf in my room. You know, my parents, um, you know, they got me these really cool, shelves on one side of my, uh, you know, across from my bed. And, uh, you know, I had a bunk bed, even though I was the only child is because I wanted to have a bunk bed. And, you know, when I had friends stay the night, they can yeah. have their own bed, but, uh, my toy shelf was like across my bunk bed and, you know, it was, you know, it was, just, it was great to fall asleep looking at that toy shelf, um, every night as a kid too. Um, like I have my tiger sharks, you know, from, and I was the only kid somehow or another, and we can get into this, like, yeah. The toys that I still love now, I mean, I do have a fondness for He-Man and Transformers and G.I. Joe, but like, it's all the weird stuff, you know, it's like the, all the knockoff, not knockoff, but just like kind of like lesser known toy lines um, that I somehow ended up having when none of my other friends had them. And it's not like, you know, we lived in different towns and shopped at different stores, but uh, you know, I had a whole bunch of like rock lords and rocks and bugs and things and RoboForce and, and tiger sharks and like the tiger sharks that I have in my display case at my office at home now mm-hmm. are the tiger sharks I had when I was a kid. And if I didn't hold on to those, like I probably wouldn't have any tiger sharks in my collection right yeah. now because they're so hard to get. Yeah. You know, uh, the, those weird toy lines. I, I just interviewed um, last week. I got to interview Joe Galliani, the creator of street sharks. Right. And so like, talking to him about that because that's one of the toys that I remember most when I was a kid but I didn't keep them I didn't do like I can't remember what happened to them right no one else had them when I was little and I don't understand why yeah for me I had a lot of um a lot of you know aunties and uncles and stuff and um when they would give me birthday gifts and Christmas gifts I feel like inexplicably a lot of times they wouldn't get them at like a KB or a uh, Toys R Us they would get them at like a, a Rebco, which is a local drugstore, or like, you know, a town and country, which is the grocery store. And, you know, back in the day, like all these places had toy aisles, you know, they may yeah. have worked in like four or five feet, but, you know, that's where you could find like, you know, it wasn't Transformers, it wasn't GoBots, it, you know, it was converters, you know, it was, um, you know, like uh, transforming robots by Marshawn and stuff like that. Yeah. So like, I had a bunch of those mixed in with my GoBots and I had a bunch of like, um, you know, Remco warrior beasts mixed in with my He-Man figures, because these are the kinds of toys that my, you know, my relatives would get me, um, you know, obviously thinking that, you know, they're close enough to the the popular stuff. And I think that's kind of what a lot of those companies banked on yeah, as being aesthetically similar enough to the more name brand stuff that, you know, unknowing relatives would just get them for their uh, nieces and nephews or kids or stuff. But I mean, I, I love them all equally, you know, like I had, I didn't have any sort of like, kind of like a, you know, uh, 
discretion about you know whether that's something was a transformer or a you know zeroid or whatever yeah so Z-bot. as you like like had all these toys and you took really good care of them there's a point that most people that come on here they always talk about like oh and this is where i found dating or this is where and i got rid of everything you kept it I did have that. I did. I was not, I didn't escape that hiatus. I think everyone takes that hiatus. Um, And I, I can, I can pinpoint exactly the last toy line that I remember buying, you know, or, you know, going with my parents to, to actually try and find in the stores before I, you know, took a hiatus towards, you know, buying toys as a kid was the Jurassic Park line by Kenner. Mm. It was, I, I can distinctly remember in my mind, like having that sort of crisis of consciousness being like, you're getting too old for this. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. And I love this movie. And, um, you know, I was probably what, like nine or 10 years old at the time. And I was just like, ah, it's, it's, it's probably, this is probably it, but I love those toys so much. But, um, and that was, that was the last one. So that was the last toy line that I remember actively looking for, you know, with my parents, and then, um, you know, it went on the shelf and then, then that was pretty much it for probably a few years. And, um, you know, y- you try to think that you're past it and, you know, but I, I didn't get rid of the toys. I didn't instantly just be like, ah, I'm never going to look at these things again. Like I still had some stuff on display, other stuff, you know, my parents, um, put in like, you know, plastic Rubbermaid bins and they went in the basement and stuff like that, but everything got kind of meticulously, stored away yeah um i didn't have thankfully you know heaven forbid i didn't have a family or parents that i would put that stuff in a yard sale the second i went to summer camp and you know never looked back i've heard so many horror stories about people like their parents being like hey you didn't want to save any of those old toys and stuff did you like oh you did Mm, because we already sold them like (laughs) i I didn't have any of any of that happen to me yeah but um we interrupted this broadcast of Toys on Tap to bring you this. Meanwhile, in a galaxy of bootleg treasures. DOV2, we have engine failure. We must crash land on DKE Toy Planet. Oh my, we're doomed. Wait, salvation. Hooray, we're saved, DOV2. Limited edition custom artist made action figures and DKE toys. Check out www.dkatoys.com for a full catalog. Hooray for custom action figures. DKE. I do remember the, the first toy line that got me back into it after taking probably about, I think I spent most of my middle school years being like, eh, I can't, I can't buy toys anymore. I'm a grown up now. And then I think it was like uh, towards the end of my freshman year of high school, um, I was a big Star Trek fan. And, um, you know, it's huge in the next generation. And I remember, uh, I think it was at a Target and it was the, um, the Playmates Wharf figure in like his commemorative Klingon garb. And uh, I think that was probably the first toy that I bought with a collector mindset of being like, that's a cool figure. I love the series. I want to have this on display on a shelf. So that was like the first, like, I'm not buying this to play with, but I am buying it because it's cool and I want to have it displayed. And I think, uh, yeah. So I took like a few years off, but then right, right back in, uh, around high school. Yeah. And then I'm assuming you took a break for college and then after came back. Oh yeah. I mean, 
when you're in college, you know, your, your funds are limited. So you yeah. have to spend discretionarily. And I would pick up things here and there, you know, but, you know, space is a constraint and, you know, your uh, overall funds are, are a constraint. But um, I didn't I didn't completely quit cold turkey, but I was very selective about what I would pick up at the time, which was um, difficult because I was in college in the early 2000s. And that was like that was like the renaissance of, of action figure collecting. Yeah. That's when everything exploded. I mean, it started in the nineties um, to a degree with like the toy biz X-Men figures and McFarlane. But I mean, like towards the end of the nineties and the early two thousands, that's when everything really took off and it was fueled by like, you know, Lee's and Tom arts and toy fair and all those magazines too. Yeah. Holy moly. So we, you start working and did you know that you were going to go into something that had to do with toys when you wanted to work and all that stuff? No, it was a winding road to get to where I'm at right now. Um, it's funny. I was actually in Chicago for C2E2 this past weekend with Brian um, for a panel that we did. And uh, we went out to, uh, to grab pizza afterwards and, you know, we're both so busy. And even though we've worked together for gonna five years now, there's this, things we just haven't, you know, talked about. And uh, that was actually one of the things that we were talking about the other night was, you know, like um, how I, you know, got to where I was in college to where I'm at now. And I, I was originally an anthropology major. Like I wanted to be an archeologist throughout most of my childhood and high school and into college. Like, and that was my, um, that was, that was what I, I thought my destiny was going to be was being an archaeologist and, you know, studying anthropology and, you know, cultural anthropology and all that. And um, after about two years of that, I realized that it was not meant to be. There's something about it. And again, I'm not, I wasn't in the, in, under any delusion that, you know, it was going to be, you know, Indiana Jones and booby traps and, you know, the Holy Grail. But I just you thought, I, I mean, part of me was hoping there'd be a smidge of that, but there was, yeah. you know, and again, nothing against the field. It's it's insanely fascinating. But I I saw basically that I was going to have to be in school till at least a master's, if not a doctorate, to do anything of any sort of like weights or relevance. And and then it was just the 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 um, the patience you need to uh, to spend uh, two or three weeks in in you know northern Iowa, you know excavating uh, you know Indian mounds near Cahokia and going days and days without really finding anything. And then you find a couple shards of pottery or, or a difference in the soil where you could tell something used to be before like the wood rotted out. And that was a big deal. Like that yeah. would basically justify the entire week. And, you know, everyone else is like losing their minds over it. And I'm just like, Oh gosh, I don't know if this is for me. So it was, um, it was a, uh, it was a tough moment for me to kind of have to reassess my life at that point, because obviously looking back, you know, it was, I was still incredibly young and had all the time in the world to figure something out. But at the time I already felt like I was wasting time and, you know, I was you know, sunk cost fallacy. So, um, you know, I reassessed what I wanted to do and obviously like, you know, television and, and the whole entertainment industry was something that I was always fascinated by, but it wasn't always something that I thought would be a viable career <clears throat> option. And then um, I decided to give a go. And um, I started out after uh, after school working in Chicago at WCIU as an art PA at the Svengoolie show, which was incredibly surreal because he was an idol of mine. He, Rich Coase is a national icon. He's a fixture of t- ch- uh, Chicago broadcasting. 
And he does this um, show, Svengooli, which is kind of like a, you know, your regional horror host, you know, showing mm. old movies and doing, you know, skits in between and stuff like that. You know, I grew up with my parents watching this and then I got to work on it for a brief period. And then um, I had a, my, one of my best friends, uh, Tristan, you know, he was graduating at the same time and was going to head off to LA to, uh, you know, give it a go. And he was just like, you know, you kind of owe it to yourself to do this. Like if it doesn't work, you can always come back, but why, why not just give it a try? And so uh, I did and I never looked back. And then I had a, uh, <laughs> an equally long and winding story about, you know, how I started here in Los Angeles to where I'm at now in Burbank. And it's anywhere and everywhere in between, like working on real world with Buna Murray and all these other TV shows. And it was the thing that actually got me my job in the film was the fact that I was always uh, a toy collector and a toy aficionado. And I would have toys on my desk when I would be working at a job that had nothing to do with any of this stuff. It would just be, you know, a tchotchke here, an action figure tour here. And, you know, people remembered it. And um, there was a chance encounter with a coworker of mine. And um, and he was at the company. He was at this company in the cell before Toys That Made Us was even a thing. And it was like in the very, very early pre stage of development. And he was like, you know, I know a guy he's really into these toys. He, he would be perfect for this. You should get him on here. And then that's kind of long story short, how I ended up here at Decel um, to uh, start work on Toys That Made Us. And then the rest is kind of history. I love, this is the weirdest detail. I love that you call it tchotchke. My <laughs> wife gives me the hardest time every time I get something new. She's like, at one point I made a phrase or I said something that I was like, I don't like sit-upons or tchotchkes or because I, I just don't want those. And then I started collecting and she was like, another tchotchke, huh? Yeah, I'm a big tchotchke guy. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, yeah, it's, at this point, it's like, yeah, go ahead and say your piece. I got another one. Um, so you work at Nacelle and now this is my my favorite part about what you do and who you are. So can we talk about your show? You're in your fourth season with the show, correct? Um, we are in the fourth season of Toy Store near you. Yep. That one will air on Christmas. And it's kind of funny, you know, one of the ways that I've been able to reconcile, you know, my early, you know, college career and, and, and now is, you know, I kind of look at myself as a pop culture archaeologist, you know, and this is a way to explore, you know, the culture of, of toys and collectors and this whole world in a, in a kind of anthropological way. So that's kind of, um, in a way, helps me, you know, bridge those two worlds. But uh, yeah, Toy Store Near You is um, something that is so near and dear to my heart because again, like um, <laughs> Brian kind of makes sure to remind me all the time, like, uh, you got any more Chicago stores you got lined up? Because I mean, these were stores that, um, anytime I would come home to visit my family, I would go to, and, um, you know, whether it's Toy Du Jour and Sam and Liz or Nick and Janet Bric-a-Brac, John at Smash Toys, like these, um, these were some of my local toy stores. And anytime that I took a trip anywhere, you know, I'd always try and find out, you know, what the local toy store was to go check out. And, you know, I still believe like these stores are like the lifeblood of the hobby, you know, like these are the stores that are not only selling, you know, our childhood, but, you know, they're the hubs for, you know, connecting with other people, you know, who had similar experiences and some similar memories. So uh, they're so important to me that they, you know, are doing okay out there and they continue to succeed. And this show, you know, really kind of came out of a necessity in um, Brian's eyes and my eyes as far as like when the pandemic hit and 
recognizing that this is going to um, really affect small businesses in a way. And, you know, especially, um, particularly, um, you know, the toy stores that we love going to so much. So, you know, it was kind of an unprecedented, you know, decision at the time to um, not only continue, you know, what we were currently working through um, with everyone being remote in a, in a time where, you know, we really hadn't been up until that point and we're kind of figuring out as we go, but to green light a show during, you know, the, throws of the pandemic, you know, as a way to just kind of like give these stores an extra spotlight and try and, you know, find a way to raise as much money as we can to help them out and, you know, give them uh, the awareness that would hopefully get them through. So that's kind of where it all started. And um, it's been one of the most rewarding things for me about the show outside of literally just being able to do anything we can to help these stores is to see, you know, the stories flourish, um, as being told by the owners, like a lot of these, I mean, majority of the store owners, you know, they're not videographers. Like they haven't had any experience shooting a television show. So the fact that they've been able to do so and, and really kind of like um, not only figure it out as they go, but really kind of like master the craft of their own story has been incredible because again, to anyone out there who doesn't realize how the show is produced, like all the footage is self-shot by the store owners. Like, we do all the posts and the editing and the effects and, you know, the graphics and um, all of that. And, you know, we, um, we go through, you know, several kind of like a pickup shot, you know, meetings and, you know, um, updates on what each episode might need to, um, to finish it out. But I mean, like, they're the ones who are, you know, doing all the shooting and they're the ones who are kind of like staging all the shots and, and doing all the interviews. So um, it's really cool to see the kind of investment that the owners put into the uh, episode. And I think, it creates a more sort of rewarding finished product that they can look back on and, and really kind of say like, this is, we did this, like, this is our episode. Um, so that is fantastic. Um, and it's been great to see. And I, everyone has like risen to the occasion and really knocked it out of the park. So, which I, that's, I think that's a little, a less known fact that they didn't know that it is self-shot self like produce, like these people are their own, yeah. So we, what we do is we, um, we give them a uh, preliminary um, outline of like, these are the story points we always like to hit. Yeah. Um, these are the tech specs. Like, this is how these shots should ideally be staged. Here's what we like as far as like B-roll. Here are like the key shots we always like to have in each episode. But like in between that, like, please give it your own flair, like tell your own story. Like don't ever feel like you have to copy paste any other episode. Like we want this to be, your most sincere and honest episode so yeah um it's always a matter of letting them have that kind of creative discretion yeah and so as like a behind the scenes thing are these toy stores that you are searching out yourself or are they applying to be on the show how does that usually work um it's it's a little both um okay. you know there are plenty of stores that you know um i was familiar with brian was familiar with like um, that we've talked to over the years before the show was even a show um, that we initially, you know, reached out to like Billy, obviously Billy galaxy yeah. has been, um, you know, a friend of ours and a friend of the show for a friend of the company for years. So um, it made sense for him to be the pilot episode only because we had such an, you know, intimate relationship with, with him over the years. But um, there's, it's, and another thing that I, I love about this community is how um, close knit some of the people are. So um, Billy had a couple of recommendations and then other stores, you know, once we kind of pitched the original, um, idea and announced that we were doing the show, 
uh, other stores reached out to us as well and, and you know requested to um, to be a part of it. So it's been a, it's been a little both both ends. Yeah, that's and I, I love. It seems maybe the best way to phrase it is it seems such an approachable show because right. it is so done by them that it, it almost empowers other stores to say like, oh, we can do that. Can we join the forces and do this? Yeah. And we had stores who, you know, they were like, well, we didn't think we would, we'd be able to do that. But then, you know, we decided to give it a shot and, you know, we were really, really proud of what we've been able to do. And one of the most incredible things that's happened since this show has aired is since we've aired the first three seasons, we've had two stores now who have reached out to us to say that they literally were inspired to open their store because of the show. Oh my God. They were on the fence about whether it should, whether it was a good idea, whether they should, you know, um, you know, they had other jobs, but they always wanted to, and they watched this show and they're like, you know what, damn it, I'm going to do it. And that's yeah. happened twice now. So that alone is, um, it's, I don't know if humbling is the right word, but it, it's, um, it's very emotional, but in a good way, like it's cool yeah. that we've been able to have that level of inspiration for people. Cause you're going full circle of being this collector as a child and loving toys to now inspiring people to sell toys. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I, I joke around um, that it, it's a simulation because I can't imagine how else something like that even happens because uh, that's, it's, it's just insane for me to think, you know, that, yeah. that that's the path that I've been on. And then you said you also deal with uh, podcasts and publishing here, right? Yeah. So you and Rack Toys has come through Barbarian Rage now, right? What, how is that? Like that's amazing that you picked up those two, and I've talked to both of them. They're incredible people. So oh, how? Yeah. yeah. So what inspired the publishing aspect, and what inspired you chasing after those two? We, um, I mean, one thing that's a constant here at Nacelle. I know this sounds kind of cliched, but I mean, the constant is that things are never, you know are constantly in flux and things are always, we're always trying to find a way to, um, to not stay still and to find a way to um, evolve the business and evolve what we're doing um, in a way that's still, you know, very true to what our, you know, philosophy is and what we're most passionate about. Because I think there's one other constant is that everything that we do is very much, you know, like a passion project, obviously. It's something that we, we don't phone anything in, like everything we're doing, we do because like it's, we're, intently uh fascinated and interested by it so um we we saw an opportunity to kind of um extend what we've been doing with our television shows and specials um in books and podcasts as well and with the relationships that we built over the years with people you know it felt like a natural progression so in the case of like uh rack toys with brian heiler you know what better way to to kick off our publishing than to um help Brian re-release a book that um, personally for me is uh, it's very near and dear to my heart because it deals with all the toys that I'm like most uh, fascinated by. And, you know, I had noticed over the years that um, the previous copies of Rack Toys that were uh, selling on the secondary market were selling for like, you know, $200. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, I was talking to, to, to Brian Heiler and I was just like, you know, you're, you're not seeing any of this money. Let's, let's get this book back into publication, you know, properly and, and, and allow you to kind of like enjoy these profits because yeah, this thing has become um, an insanely sought after sort of like a 
collector's items. So we wanted to allow people who hadn't got a chance to get the book in the first run to um, to be able to get the book without, you know, uh, costing an arm and leg. So that was why we decided to kick off with, uh, with Rack Toys. And obviously we had um, uh, new new content added to it. Brian Heiler added new content to it. And um, Volkweiss uh, wrote a, an afterwards. And uh, yeah, I mean, I actually just got an email from Heiler the other day that said like he um, he just got a an order in and sold uh, 80% of it in like 48 hours. So um, it's yeah. super awesome to see that that book is doing well. And then, yeah, uh, Barbarian Rage with Scott Cherry. Like Scott Cherry is um, one of the <laughs> most like incredible mad geniuses that I've met in, in some time. You know, we became really fast friends and, you know, we've, we've hit up a couple of conventions together and he is just so talented in what he's able to do with his toy photography and his original work and, and put it into a comic book format, which if anyone hasn't read this comic book yet, I highly recommend doing so because it is, it is utterly brilliant. It is insanely yeah. cool and brilliant. And uh, yeah, I mean, just being able to collaborate with him on a comic book is, is another one of those like life check marks that I can, you know, cross off. Oh yeah. And so is this, I mean, the first two books that you've done rack toys and now uh, mm-hmm. barbarian rage, unless there's more that I, that I haven't, Scene. um we uh we have a companion book to center seats okay. that um will be available very shortly and we're also working with jenny mullen on her first uh novel which will be out next year she's a new york times best-selling author so we're really kind of um it's a wide net that we're casting with our publishing and um we're also working on a book with john and mary tenuto that covers these star wars audio dramas which is also something that I feel like is uh, has never really been properly explored yeah. in a very kind of academic sense. So that book will be uh, out next year as well. And I'm super proud that we're doing that one as well. Yeah. Which is incredible. And it seems like the books are centering around pop culture and like the history of those things, which is amazing. And to hear, I think the cool side is now being able to interview you, but having interviewed these people, and mm-hmm. knowing and hearing them talk about the excitement and then hearing the excitement from you as well. That's an incredible piece that the fans get to hear the people that listen to this and all those. It's, it's a flywheel. Everything kind of like propels everything else, you know, it's, um, and it, it's such a small world once you talk to enough people and realize how, how, how connected everyone is in different ways. Yeah. So with all of these things and your life wrapped up into this professional life and everything, what, is there a glimpse of what's to come for Nacelle for the people that are listening? Oh, well, um, <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, I, I guess in a kind of full circle way, the one thing that we haven't talked about that um, kind of brings it back to the beginning of our conversation is we're making toys now. Um, we'll, yeah. have, uh, we'll have our first uh, few action figure lines up for uh, order at Toy Fair in New York in February, which just being able to say that sentence out loud um, is it's hard for me to still wrap my head around the fact that we'll actually have toys that we, um, you know, created in-house, you know, that will be on store shelves, you know, ideally, you know, uh, that's insane. And we hired um, David Vonner, mm-hmm. who might be the most talented toy designer in the world. Uh, he is our in-house, you know, chief creative officer for all of our toy lines. So Dave is, um, sculpting prototypes for yeah and so just to kind of like recap a bit with the toys so we've been acquiring you know ip over the past year or so 
um, to, to, to bring back and reimagine and kind of relaunch, you know, toy lines that we felt didn't really get a fair shake the first time around. So that includes RoboForce and yep. Power Lords are our first two big ones. And so we have a couple prototypes that we've revealed on our socials for, for Max Steel and 100 on RoboForce. Uh, Dave's hard at work on the third one right now. So we should have four RoboForce uh, figures up for pre-order in November or February at Toy Fair. And also I think somewhere between uh, six and eight Power Lords figures as well. Holy moly. So you're coming out of the gate ready. We interrupt this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this. Earth 2 Aliens have landed. Earthling. I want lowbrow art and bootleg toys. Toys, 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 toys. Well, you come to the right place. Earth to Kentucky is a shop for folks who love vintage sci-fi, lowbrow, and art bootleg toys. Toys, 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 They're located over there at 836 Main Street, Covington, Kentucky. Toys, toys, They carry original art, vintage action figures, designer bootleg toys, and toys, 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 and t-shirts. Designed exclusively for their store by some of their favorite artists. Thank you, Earthling. I enjoy Earth to Kentucky. I have all my favorite bootleg art toys. Toys, 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 toys. Hey, look at that over there. It's a spaceship. Yeah. I need to go now. Someone's filming me in my spaceship. Shop now. www.earthtokentucky.com. That's earth2kentucky.com. Or just land your spaceship when they're open. There's a couple other toy lines that we haven't publicly announced yet that will be there as well. And we're also, we also acquired the rights, the IP rights to, to Mark's toys. Yep. So um, we'll be doing Big Lou stuff and Great Garlou stuff. We actually had our first uh, Funko collaboration, uh, our first pop at Emerald City Comic Con. It was an exclusive Great Garlou Funko pop. So wow. that's that's out there right now that you can get. And uh, yeah, we'll have some more uh, stuff for both of those characters uh, on the horizon very soon as well. So yeah, we are we're not dipping our toe in the water with toys. We're really diving in head first. Yeah, I know what's so crazy about that is if there's, I hope that there's not a kid listening to all my episodes because some of them were a little weird. But for this one that like you can play with toys as a kid, you can love toys all the way through. And then at some point, sometimes you get to produce toys. Yeah, that, that's crazy. It's but, uh, it's, it's, it's a dream come true. It's yeah. uh, I, I, I joke that if I were to, if I was able to go back in time and, you know, try and do this all again, you know, intentionally, I don't think I'd be able to. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. I, so I can't wait for the toys to come out. Um, and then your show coming out to a store near you on December, you said December 25th? Christmas. Yeah. There we and, go. Uh, the five stores are um, Super Happy Incredible Toys in Houston, Texas, uh, Toy Du Jour in Chicago, Illinois. Dr. Tongues, I had that shop in Portland, uh, Totally Rad Toy House in Nashville, Tennessee, and Toys from the Past in Lincoln, Nebraska. And all of these stores uh, are fantastic. Their stories are uh, incredible, and the owners themselves are um, just absolutely wonderful people. So please watch all those episodes. So the last part of the podcast for artists and for anyone that comes on is you can plug anything that's coming up, anything that we haven't talked about, anything you want to, uh, your socials, everything. It's Super. all about you. Oh boy. Okay. Well, um, definitely we have a few podcasts out. We have the Toy Store New Year Companion podcast. It's hosted by Bevan. Um, she's an incredible uh, entertainment reporter for Den of Geek. Just amazingly charismatic uh, woman. And she talks to all the store owners and it kind of serves as both a 
follow-up to where the stores are since their episodes aired and also kind of a look behind the scenes as to what their personal experience was recording the episode. So that is currently airing anywhere you listen to podcasts, as well as our Center Seat After Show, which is a companion show to our History Channel series on Star Trek. Uh, so those two podcasts are out right now. We've got a couple other ones in the works. Um, stay tuned to our socials for any toy updates. Uh, please watch Toy Story You on Christmas. And um, if you haven't bought a copy of Rack Toys, oh, speaking of buying copies of Rack Toys and other things, <laughs> we also launched our, our, our first uh, store site, our Nacelle store site, um, which is nacellestore.com. If you Google Nacelle store, it should come up. Uh, where we're selling all sorts of different merch based on, you know, some of our IPs. So mugs, t-shirts, lunchboxes. We have a kick-ass great Garlu lunchbox up there. Um, stickers, pins. There's a great big blue pin that we just re released. So yeah, if you're looking for last minute Christmas gifts, um, hit up our store site. Oh, and the, oh, we have to mention the toy passport. Oh my gosh. Abraham, At, you are a lifesaver. I yes. am so impressed by that. Please talk about that as a last... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we wanted to do, because one of the cool things about Toy Sterner U was not only bringing together the um, store owners as a tight knit community and now they're friends and hang out and visit each other's stores, but it also is bringing the, the whole customer community together too. And we want yeah. to find a way to encourage that and to encourage people to go to as many toy stores as possible because so many of them are out there and they're all so unique. So we buys an idea to, to have a passport. And what you can do is at participating stores, you can buy this toy stores of the world passport. And each store that sells the passport has their own store specific stamp. So you buy the passport at the store, you get that store stamp, and you can take that passport and go to any other participating store and get a stamp from their store as well. So you have this physical, tangible, visual record of all the different toy stores you've visited over the years. And uh, the cool bit of toy continuity with the passports that we make is uh, they're actually created by the same company that did the Cabbage Patch passports oh. 30 years ago. So there's a bit of toy history in them, but it also, it's a great way to, to get people out there to, um, you know, take some trips and, and visit as many toy stores as possible. And uh, yeah, you can, um, we'll have more information on our website about the passport system, but they're already in, I believe, 20 stores. Oh, I love that so much. Rich, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me your time for Toys on Tap. Of course, happy to be here. Uh, I, yeah, I for sure, after, right after the uh, new season drops, I want to get you back on and talk about these toy stores and everything. And Dude, let's do it. I feel like, dude, we, we just scratched the surface of what we can nerd out about. Oh, I, I want to spend an entire yeah. episode just talking about all the weird, weirdo toys that, you know, I grew up playing with. So let's, yeah, let's I'll definitely do this again sometime. I'm definitely into it. And then uh, by that point, we can also talk about Brian's new book coming out, The Knockoff Toys, which I got right. to help him with, which is exciting. So, yes. Uh, yeah, I can't wait. Uh, thank you so much. It was the best. Been a pleasure, man. on tap. Next episode. <laughs>
awesome. It's great. It's amazing. You're going to want to listen to it. It's not right now, though. You're going to have to wait till the next episode to listen to it. Oh, when's that? The next one. Cool. Toys on Tap. The next one's going to be good, too. So stay tuned and, and, and listen to that. Toys on Tap. Awesome.